in a world. I'm sorry, I'm gonna take this cat upstairs. <laughs> Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections, a weekly podcast dedicated to everything science fiction. It's me, your sci-fi boy, Colin Brandon, and with me tonight is... Mark Bucker. Jason. I'm Ben Young. Andrew's back. And tonight we are talking about 2017's Blade Runner 2049. Woo! Oh boy, I'm excited. Uh, <laughs> so 2049 was written by Hampton Fancher and Michael Green, directed by Denny Villeneuve. Denny. It's Dennis. Denny. It's Dennis. It's it's Dennis. actually Denis. Denny. Denny. Dennis Villanova. Dennis. Denis. Dennis Villanova. I like that. <laughs> Starring Sorry, Ryan Denny. Gosling, Harrison Ford, Ana de Armas, Sylvia Hooks, Robin Wright, Mackenzie Davis, Carla Jury, Lenny James, Dave Batista, and Jared Leto. Sorry, I wanted to go through all of them because they all did a good performance. Sure, so. sure. Uh, music was by Benjamin uh, Walfish and Hans Zimmer, which I always wonder if this is one of those things where Hans Zimmer put his name on it, but his like understudy did all the work. I, I to just briefly say, I think all of Hans Zimmer's best soundtracks have someone's else someone else's name attached to them. So that very well may be the case. Uh, I, got a little... I mean, not to say that the man is the man isn't talented, but I think he does have a, a lot of people do the work. I have a little like... tidbit for you if you want. Sure, let's do it right now. Well, no, it's, it's on the soundtrack because obviously one of the more heralded things of the first Blade Runner was Vangelis's soundtrack, the ethereal synths and whatnot. You know, had a big kind of uh, uh, impact on sci-fi cinema and like of that whole era, really '80s kind of synth poppy stuff. Um, I believe whoever they hired for Blade Runner 2049 had started scoring it, but it was in a very different style. So uh, Denny, I believe, um, and Ridley Scott kind of wanted to preserve Vangelis' themes. So they actually, that's part of the reason they went to Hans Zimmer to kind of play more of a, hey, do what you want, but make it sound like this type thing. So just wanted to share that. Yeah. Cool. That's, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, and I do appreciate that. Alrighty. Um, well, I'm going to give you guys the budget. Uh, the budget was between 150 and 185 million dollars. No surprise there. God damn. Um, the box office well, don't wah, say it. Wah, 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 was 260.5 million dollars. Wowers. Yeah. So it is definitely a a flop in terms of um the the box office and what it brought in. Uh, but it's still actually good. At least they made their money back. Yeah. yeah. The metric by which things are judged as successes or flops is kind of fucked up. <laughs> I mean, well, with the budget, there's more that goes into the cost. No, I, budget, I know. It's just, account you know, you, you hear you hear those numbers and they're both astronomically large numbers, way more money than, you know, I'll ever make in my lifetime. I think a but, big uh, 
I think a big thing too, as far as like what's determining it as a flop is like it's never going to get a sequel from those numbers because you need to double your money at least in order to get a sequel. Um, and no, a sequel in talks for this movie. Blade Runner twenty fifty one. Where? Where have you seen uh, everything I've seen has said not a fucking chance in hell. Direct to video. Which is, <laughs> to my in my opinion, a disaster because. Denis has said before, I believe, that this was the beginning of a trilogy. And yes, he definitely wanted. <laughs> it's just, it, I, I, I would love it if there's a sequel, but as far as I know, there's no chance of a sequel, according to <clears throat> the people in charge. So, well, no, and I definitely uh, one of the big kind of crooks of the things I wanted to bring up, at least that I'm, I want to bring to the table, kind of. Uh, riffs off of that, Colin. So I don't know if we want to get into that later. Um, bring it up again, but that's definitely a big thing I kind of want to talk about when talking about 2049. Yeah, actually, we will get back into that. Um, before we get too far into this, I guess, uh, Ben Young, uh, what the hell is this movie about? Replicant and Blade Runner, K discovers the impossible, the remains of a replicant who had died in childbirth. Under orders from his superiors, K hunts for the child to erase all evidence of its existence. But K's mission and identity become compromised when he learns that he may be the very same child he seeks to destroy. It's Blade Runner 2049! 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 We actually all went to see this movie opening night, and I forget if we saw it on regular screen or if it was like an IMAX screen. We but saw we it actually IMAX. was it IMAX? It was IMAX. Because yeah, we went all out because because we had all been following this movie for years and years and years. I know being personally a fan of the first Blade Runner and being a fan of Ridley Scott, um, I was super excited and just stoked for this one. And I also had become a fan of Denis at that point too, so I was really excited to see kind of what he did with this. Um, kind of jumping into sci-fi because a lot of the other films that he'd done in like the mid uh, 2010s early 2010s were all kind of different genres so we all went and saw it and it was just kind of funny that it took us this long to actually get our uh, our thoughts down on uh, the recorded format because I know we we talked about it a little bit that night but uh, yeah I mean how fast four years fly right I believe we we were not uh, recording at the time we had I had taken back i take i took a step back from the podcast and you guys just decided to not do it anymore because i'm the key you know the glue that keeps it all together and but you're that, good, that good was right glue. you were I all actually, supposed to be like yes yes ben yes i went to my <laughs> cabin on the mountaintop <laughs> and i didn't come down until ben said i'm back yeah <laughs> and i came Mark back down at poetry was down to here <laughs> a little um, flex of gray. Jason became Father Mountain. <laughs> we we should address that one of us was not there with us. 
and that person Ooh, was Andrew that's William me in the center Miller. of this. Right. Andrew W.S. Miller was not there for us when we watched that movie. This was your first time seeing it, right? It was my uh, first time seeing this movie. Uh, I've seen Blade Runner, the original, a couple of times. Um, have we covered? We haven't covered that on the show, have we? Yes, we, did, we have. Yeah. All right. I might not have been there for that episode. It was early um, on, I think. Way I yeah, maybe. Yeah, like, I remember my work yeah. schedule back then was like nightmare. Miss half yeah. the uh, half the um, actual reviews, um, but yeah, we we all actually got together. Um, little, uh, I don't want to say post COVID revelry, but uh, you know, we were <laughs> definitely making out. To, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's cheese, there was beer. There was a lot of tongue. There was a uh, crumply, crumply. And I missed um, a lot. <laughs> crumply bags. <laughs> lots of crumpling, lots of pizza. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, it was yeah. a good time. It was, but it was good to kind of revisit it. Um, I know, uh, I think probably a few of you guys have seen the movie in the, the interim there, but I've only seen it twice. I saw it the night we all went and saw it in theaters, and I saw it. Monday or uh, Saturday, sorry. That's that's yeah, gonna be honest, Jason. I, the first time I saw it was in theaters. The second time was at your house this past oh, Saturday. Yeah. Same, same, uh, same here. And I'm glad that I waited that long to watch it again because it still felt so fresh and amazing to me the second time I saw it. So just uh, yeah. really quick to interject, just so our our listeners don't feel like they're being gaslit. We actually did not cover Blade Runner the original. Are you sure? Yeah, I just went back to check what episode it was. We have not yeah, covered pretty the original Blade Runner. Oh, wow. Though we may have covered it in one of our uh, episodes where we cover like a bunch of stuff. We may have talked about it there. Hmm. I want to say, I know we definitely compared it with something we did, or it came up as like a point of reference in something, because I remember us having kind of like a long aside in one of the old casts where Cyberpunk? it was brought up. No, because I wasn't yeah, on that I, one. I mean, maybe yeah, you guys did, but I maybe. swear I remember this is... fucking watching this that original movie again well, just for the podcast. We watched this is freaking it. my bean. Yeah. I swear we did. We watched yeah, wait, the are we original Mandela right now. We watched. It's the not ori- my cross section through the Mandela effect. <laughs> we watched the original uh, together uh, before we went to see twenty forty nine. That much yeah, I know for Ben's sure. Right. Because I had never seen okay. it, and you all were like, this movie's so good. And I nearly didn't go to 2049 after watching that because I was like, this movie's garbage. <laughs> we, we watched might, it at the back cave. Okay. I remember now. Yeah, yeah, we watched it here. Yep. yep. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. There so I guess, fuck, we should probably cover the original. Ben's shaking his head. No, he doesn't want to do it. I mean, we could talk, like, I, you know, like, I could mention that I despise the original Blade Runner. I The only thing that's good in the original Blade Runner, in my opinion, is Rucker Hauer. And the film still does a disservice by not putting him on screen for 98% of the movie. So... It's not really like if you haven't seen the original Blade Runner, it's not worth watching. Like, just skip it and watch 2049 because it is an infinitely better movie in every single aspect of art. Period. Thank you. Bad sci fi. Don't watch it. <laughs> there we go. Yikes. We covered it. Well, there you have it, folks. That is our take on uh, Blade Runner 2049. No, no, no. I'm t- that was the original Blade Roll Runner. Roll the credits. No, I know, I know. <laughs> There's so much oh. to enjoy, though. And there's a yeah. lot that I feel like 
is uh, built upon that in a way that you you could enjoy this movie without it, but I think it enhances your experience. It does. It, it, it's definitely very important. Like it, I'm, I am sure that everything with with Harrison Ford's character with uh, Deckard and uh, the the just the child being around, like all of it loses its weight if you don't know it. So I am glad I saw it at the end of the day, just because like I was able to get the weight and get the emotionality of 2049 a lot more. Uh, well, but it doesn't change the fact that 2049 makes that movie look like a trash can. Well, I think what's interesting is, you know, that's, I, I kind of liken it to, and of course a lot of it revolves around Ridley Scott. So that that's inconsequential. I think it's more, uh, the point I'm about to make is kind of just about like, you know, franchises or media or things that we hold like in reverence in pop culture. Like it's interesting that you have a movie like Alien where, you know, Alien comes out. It's this classic. It was kind of uh, hailed as, you know, a great movie at the time. And then it's it's legend has only kind of grown over the intervening, you know, 40, 50 years since the film came out. But it's funny because they were never really able to capture that lightning in a bottle again. And they've certainly tried. You've had the films helmed now by however many different people. And then, you know, you also bring back uh, much like, you know, the Terminator franchise. You think, oh, yeah, we'll bring back James Cameron in some capacity and everything's going to be great. Well, they kind of did that with the Alien movies. And in my opinion, like Covenant, I thought sucked. You know, I, I hated that movie. So it's it's kind of uh, it's interesting that Blade Runner, it's one of these films where the original really kind of, especially with the aesthetic and I think mainly, you know, the cinematography, the look, um, all the kind of dirty future stuff um, really was, I think, what has made that so uh, revered in sci-fi just because, as we said before, like it, it then would go on to influence so many things in so many different types of mediums. But it's interesting that this is one of the rare cases where, in my opinion, and I'm sure we'll get into this, the sequel surpasses the original kind of, uh, you know, source material um, that, as Ben said, and I agree with him completely, I like Blade Runner. I know he didn't walk away with it from the same sort of, uh, I guess, feeling that I did, but Blade Runner 2049 just blows Blade Runner out of the water, I think, in, in every regard. And that's a, a stone cold mm-hmm. classic. You know what I mean? I, I I think we'd all agree on that. So kind of interesting. That's like one of the very rare instances. I think you could point to it and say that that actually happened that way. Well, to me, to me, I think what happens here, the, you look at movies like alien and aliens and a lot of their quality comes without what we have now. And you get people who think, oh, we could take those concepts, rebirth them with all our new technology, and they'll just be amazing because they're so much better quality, right? And they lose a lot of their heart or what people don't really grasp what makes them special when they're trying to remake them. Or maybe there's just too many cooks in the kitchen. Who knows? But this took all of that good content from the original that made it interesting to me and then it was enhanced by everything being better now. The sound quality is better. The picture quality is better. CGI is better. Like there's there's just so much that is able to be enhanced by while keeping the original, you know, quality of content. Yes, I 100% agree. Um, one of the biggest things that blew me away about 2049 is the cinematography, hands down. I mean, I know we, we want to credit... Uh, 
Denny so much for for this movie, but honestly, I think Roger Deakins himself is really what made this movie as good as it is. Uh, I mean, just every single fucking frame of this movie, you're just like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. In in all Roger Deakins movies, Roger Deakins is as much the director as the director. You know, he you you. It's always like if you have a good movie like this one, Denis is the emotionality of the film. He it works great with the actors. He interprets the script beautifully. He ha- he gives the direction, but Roger Deakins, you know, there's not a single film he's done that would be the way it, it would be the classic it is without him. He is arguably the greatest cinematographer of our lifetime and as such, the directors that work with him realize that, and it's not just like a "here's the storyboard, execute this <laughs> shot, asshole." It's a "hey, Roger, tell me what you think. Work with me here. I I want to do that." Like if you've ever watched anything with Roger Deakins, uh, sitting down to to like do an interview or something, it's always super collaborative more collaborative like the and the entire industry the entire process is collaborative but he is way more into the framework of the movie than your standard cinematographer will be yeah that's really cool so oh sorry go ahead mark if you i just said that's really cool well Mm -hmm. like so much of the the film is visual too i mean you couldn't really have a blade runner film if it was like you know uh like the platform or something you know what i mean if it was like uh, in four walls. I mean, so much of it are those sweeping shots and, and really showing kind of like the state of humanity in 2049, you know, um, the garbage dump ships and the snow and the, you know, acid rain and just, just the decay, you know, I, I feel like that was really captured well. And I think going back to what Colin said a few minutes ago about Denis, I think what's great about him and and one of the reasons why, like going back to the point, I guess I made a few minutes ago about why this worked where a lot of other media hasn't, especially like media that's based off of some like legendary property is that Denis is a fan. He has reverence for the source material, but I think he also has the balls to do his own thing. I think he really, like, he has the strength of his convictions. Like, he wasn't going to say, oh, yeah, you know, okay, yeah, we can compromise here. We'll do this. Or, oh, no, we won't do this. It was like, no. I've read a bunch of interviews with him on the making of 2049 over the last four years. And one of the biggest things I got was that he was scared shitless making the movie the entire time. But he still took the project on. He still did it. He still said, yeah, you know what? I was mortified that I was going to fuck this up, but it was a challenge. You know, like, how do I make this better? How do I, you know, evolve, not just iterate on this property that I love that, you know, made me become a filmmaker. How do I take it one step beyond and really kind of put my own stamp on it? I think he totally did. And I think it was also in the team that he kind of put together, uh, Deacons being a, a huge component of that where he really kind of made his vision come to life. What an undertaking. If someone came to, you know, I mean, I'm not a filmmaker, but if someone came to my door and was like, hey, uh, we want you to score Blade Runner 3. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, okay. okay. You know, I mean, how could you turn that down? But at the same time, you literally have the weight of your weight of the world on your shoulders at that point. Yeah. How do you get any bigger than that? 
when you're talking about properties that we love, you know, I, I don't know. Absolutely. Uh, and it helps, I think, a lot with Denis that he he's not a rookie filmmaker by any means. He's been in the business since the 90s. But he's had the benefit of, and I this is I say this as a benefit, but it's a crime, honestly. He's had the benefit of not getting big, you know. For some reason, Denis Villeneuve is not a household name, so he's not tapped as often as your Ridley Scott, as often as your your Steven Spielberg. You know, he is kind of left, I I believe, truly to fight for his own movies. And whereas most big name directors, directors with the caliber that Denis Villeneuve has, you know, they're tapped. They they are brought onto projects. They're begged to come onto the projects. Whereas Denis, at least up until up until I'd say Blade Runner, he has always kind of been one to fight for his projects. And even now, honestly, he's fighting. Like hell for Dune, he's trying to get HBO Max to not put that thing, or Warner Brothers to not put that movie anywhere near HBO Max, and it seems like he might get his way, uh, based on the, what they've been saying. But and he, I think he's still going to continue to fight forever. I don't think Dune's going to, as much as I'm so excited for Dune, I don't think it's going to perform well in the box office. I think it's gonna, it's gonna flop pretty hard, and it's going to continue to be like this for this dude. And as a result, though. The movies he makes are his. They're not studio movies where he's pulled into it. They are his movies because he's fought for them from beginning to end. So the good news is even though Dune is probably going to flop, they already filmed the second one, so at least we'll get a complete story. <laughs> yes. Well, and I'm sure he did that on purpose because I'm sure he knew. He knew. Of course. Yeah. Denny ain't no fool. <laughs> he learned his lesson from 2049. No, absolutely. I, I like what you said there, Ben, with um, uh, the fact that Denny, at this point, um, he's not the the Hollywood go-to. So the fact that he still goes into a project going, I was scared shitless the entire time, that says a lot. And that means he's going to bring his A-game compared to somebody who's kind of resting on their laurels, which um, I know our opinions have changed over uh, some of our favorite directors over the years, but someone like J.J. Abrams, who was that like, oh, this is the next Spielberg, but he's kind of developed into something that's like, okay. Uh, Hollywood... No, he's, he's, he's still the Spielberg. I know, but Hollywood keeps like pulling him <laughs> in. It's just like, okay. You literally, exactly. you literally just cookie cutter the shit out of that movie, bud. The director Hollywood just won't let die. The Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, Spielberg took, you know, 40 years to reach that point. J.J. Abrams has only took a third of the time. So, mm -hmm. well, so, I mean, there's obviously a million things to talk about this movie in terms of story, everything else like that. But I'm just going to go ahead and kind of broach what I was going to broach Colin now, because I feel like this is a really good time to kind of talk about it. Get at it. So I distinctly remember when we went and saw Blade Runner 2049 we had already kind of the, the writing was on the wall even by the time we went to see it opening night that you know this movie wasn't going to be this major box office success and i remember walking out if if the listener hasn't already gathered i, I think most of us i can speak for probably at least three of us think very very highly of blade runner 2049 um i th from the first time i saw it like what a spectacle i it more than lived up my expectations i thought it, it surpassed my expectations and it, 
truthfully, it's probably one of my favorite, not only modern sci-fi films, but just science fiction films. I think I, I hold it in that high regard. And I was crushed when I walked out of that theater because I just had this experience where it really kind of shook me and it was like, wow, this is phenomenal. This really like Denny, you know, and the team, holy shit, well done, right? And it made like $10 at the box office. And I remember like taking to social media, which is not something that I typically do and saying, you know, shame on everyone. Like if we want nice things, we have to support them. And if we don't support them, we're not gonna get nice things. Mm -hmm. And I truly, well and truly feel that way about you know, if you don't support the Blade Runner 2049s when they come, these kind of like once a, once in a generation films that really are like putting their, their uh, money where their mouth is and really trying to, you know, grapple with these themes and, and really be that kind of heady kind of alternative to what so much of cinema's become, like we're going to get Voyagers <laughs> and that's it. It's going to be Voyagers well, and Transformers. It's, it's funny you said and that. that you literally said at the end of that post enjoy transformers 10 <laughs> yeah i think i did honestly you know and and that's the thing is just like i'm not trying to be a shit when i say that and i'm not trying to be up on some high horse or some pedestal or whatever but like you you see something like that that really just kind of like is is just so perfect in so many ways you know not only the visuals not only the music not only the emotional beats you know just the story the acting just everything is great and it makes ten dollars at the box office and it's just like yeah you know it's it's a niche thing i understand that not everyone and their brother is going to rush down to go see the three hour long you know denny villeneuve sci-fi epic based on this 40-year-old property based on a Philip K. Dick novel from 60 years ago. I get it, but at the same time, and I know you guys feel the same way, I think supporting that type of heady, you know, kind of next-level sci-fi is how we get more of it, right? Because what what did we show? I know we talked about, oh, yeah, there might be a third Blade Runner in the works somewhere, but, you know, I mean... <laughs> Will we ever see it, though? We, we won't ever see it on the scale that Blade Runner 2049 was. No one's going to spend that type of money on it if they're not going to get their money back or get anywhere near it. We all know that. So, I don't know. Mm. Just to, I, I like opened it up to you guys, but that was just kind of my little diatribe that it hurt then as much as it stings now. And it, it kind of doubled me, doubled me over when we watched it again a few days ago. It was like man, <laughs> this shit was still so way beyond and is still yeah. four years later, still so way beyond anything that we have. Nothing really compares to it, but we're not seeing truth, these types of movies come out every year, you know? In truth, I don't understand why Denise still continues to deal with Warner Brothers. I think that the true failure in, in Blade Runner 2049's box office was in the marketing. You know, it was pushed to people who cared about Blade Runner. And number one, those people don't go to the theater. They torrent. And number two, <laughs> uh, there's not many of those people. Um, you know, Blade Runner bombed in the box office. So by trying to market to this niche cult audience, you're going to you're asking for failure. It feels to me like Denise needs Denise needs to move away from Warner Brothers once and for all and move to a, a studio that actually has the best interests of the artist in mind. And then maybe, I don't know, we won't get a Blade Runner, but maybe we could get some kind of spiritual successor to that. You know, maybe we can get something 
that is some idea of because obviously you know neander wallace was a big piece of the puzzle that was going to continue to grow throughout this Mm -hmm. entire process and there's so much left unsaid in that character but still so much said you know it's a complete story throughout this isn't one of those where it's like you know, oh, it's it's so good, but there's half a story here. You got to watch the rest of it. No, the story is told from beginning to middle and end. But you could have done you you could you you feel that there was so much more under the surface that was capable of being dug into that I think we could we could easily do. He could easily do in another film. So well, so from what I've gathered, I'm pretty sure Denny said he wants to revisit it, but he wants it to be nothing to do with Blade Runner, or Blade Runner 2049. He wants it to be its own standalone thing another story told somewhere else almost like you could do like an anthology piece with uh with this universe interesting so that'd be cool fun thing this was going to come up at some point and i'll say it really quickly because i don't want to get too off topic uh there are blade runner comic books out right now and they're very very good uh michael green is a story consultant on all of them so it's continuing this the greater picture of everything uh I highly recommend people who are listening to this go down to your local comic book shop and pick up the first Blade Runner. Blade Runner 2019 is uh, out on in trade completely right now. Uh, check it out. What's great about it, the reason I bring it up, is because it has nothing to do with the movie, but Tyrell is still a working antagonist throughout the world because it is such a big thing. So we could easily see, you know, like nothing, none of this, you know, no returning to K, obviously. He's dead. No Deckard, no child of Deckard. But Wallace could still be a force because he literally controls Los Angeles at that point. Because Tyrell is dead. So Very cool. Well, yeah, that being said, too. So, I mean, you mentioned the comic books, and I don't know if you guys have seen them. I did. It was a while ago, but I do remember having a high opinion of them. The uh, uh, companion short films that were like the prequel films to 2049. They kind of had a ad campaign prior to 2049 coming out. And I think one of them was like 2022 and like the other one was like 2048 or yeah, I don't know. You one can of them had make like a names up, but one was like Batista and stuff and kind of yeah, explained his great. character and how he got to where he is. They were phenomenal, phenomenal. And um, yeah, I was were. actually like, I remember in the lead up to the film coming out, um, part of me was kind of excited because of how like those those short films kind of took a little more time to develop characters just because that was the whole you know the, the whole point of you know the the 10 minute film or 15 minute film or whatever um so it was a little bit more conversation based you know it wasn't quite as kind of slow and contemplative as the film was you know in a good way i think obviously but i thought it was great so i mean there's a ton of potential in the series still it's just a matter of, you know, obviously, if someone's going to foot the bill and someone's going to invest in it, they're going to want to see a return on it. And if that isn't being supported for reasons like Ben saying, you know, that, you know, we're, we're all at home watching movies and we're, you know, streaming or we're doing whatever, or, you know, we we support this type of media. But, um, you know, especially given all the other challenges that the world in 2021 has, you know, 2017 notwithstanding, it's going to be harder and harder to get these type of big kind of like art sci-fi vehicles out there and to keep getting them made. I think a lot of these um, style these style of of fantasy or sci-fi pieces are moving towards a uh, 
high budget streaming style like television series like we've we've got our uh lovecraft country and uh what was the uh uh the watchman series like a lot of those were were i feel like moving away from tv into or sorry moving away from <clears throat> cinema into something that's more digestible and people are more willing to give it a chance you know you get oh i'll sit down for 45 minutes or an hour watch the first episode you know whatever it's i've already got hbo max like what's the worst that could happen and they go wow this is this is wild i think i'll stick it out as opposed to you know maybe i don't i don't maybe i'll wait and see it when it comes out instead of going to the theater and paying i don't, I don't know if i want to go spend three hours and you know 16 dollars to see it in imax like but if it's on hbo max already so i feel like a lot of i'm seeing a lot of this style of media moving towards that format well, well no you're right is science fiction is thriving right now in that that streaming you know service world right now the the shows that are coming up on um netflix and on amazon prime and on hbo uh it's amazing the stuff we wouldn't have seen fucking 20 years ago 15 years ago on television uh, it, it's blowing my mind and I, i'm really happy that it exists but I still want to see that $100 million production in theaters. I Like 2049, you could not put onto HBO Max. Yeah, you could tell that story, but the production is not going to be there. Yeah, it's a spectacle. It's, diff it's different kinds. It's not even just a spectacle. It's different kinds of artistry. I love, you know, photography. Photography is a beautiful art. But just because I love photography maybe more than I love paintings doesn't mean I still don't want to see paintings. You know, some paintings are better than any piece of photography ever could be. And it's the same way with movies and television. Television is where it's at. I think we all agree with that. We have some, some, you know, my favorite piece of television is in probably higher on my list than any of my favorite movies. But I still want to see those movies. Absolutely. I still don't want that art form to die because it's different. It's not, and especially now more than ever, as television has has taken what movies can do and expanded on it to be able to develop things in a more fleshed out way. Movies now have to carve a new path once again. They can't be they can't be just telling this condensed story that could have been told better in 10 hour long episodes. They need to do something different and prove they're still necessary. And I think for the most part, they're doing that. And what helps with that process is IMAX at the end of the day. And I, I don't want to sound like a corporate sponsorship for IMAX because uh, fuck them, but they make good cameras is the, is the basic fact of the matter and they're they're making movies still relevant so at least there's that uh and that i think is is kind of the big that's what that's all movies have left right now it's time for them to start carving some new ideas into the path and it has to be more than transformers 10 obviously and i yeah. think that's what we're getting at with everything yeah i definitely don't wish to see them replaced in by any means i agree with you guys wholeheartedly i just feel like that's where i'm seeing a lot of that content thrive where it might be 
falling short in cinema. Sure. But that's just the risk factor. That's important because that also generates um, excitement for the genre in itself. Um, we need that to continue. But I, I think when, you know, when the planets align and we actually get like a 2049 to come out, um, I think, as Jason said, the marketing is what failed 2049. If we can get the marketing to be better for these kind of movies and actually get the people into the theater to watch it, I think it'll be better for everyone. Um, but the, as I said, the planets have to align for that. And it's such a rare occurrence with uh, sci-fi, unfortunately. Well, I think we, we love the heady shit, right? Like that seems to be the recurring theme of our podcast. Spoiler alert. Like I think we the love good heady shit. We, we love the, the heady, you know, sci-fi where it really kind of dives deep into themes of, you know, as we've said a million times before, what it means to be human. You know, we, we talk about all this speculative technology and all these things and kind of the highbrow, high concept stuff. Like not to say that, you know, a silly sci-fi movie isn't fun every once in a while. Right. Um, but this is like a movie like this, like this is why we do it. I mean, this is why I'm a fan of science fiction, you know, kind of bo boiled into one entity, you know? So it's like to see that and then to see it not do well, even, you know, did well critically. We all thought it was great. I mean, more than lived up to expectations, if not surpassed them, but then to see it kind of fizzle out um, as far as, uh, you know, what it did financially, it's it's a bummer, you know, and it's not to, again, we all expected it. We saw it coming a mile away. So it's not that it was a surprise necessarily, but I think it, it stung even more after walking out of the theater in 2017 and realizing just how good it was because it wasn't like for me, at least marginally like, Oh yeah, that was solid. That was, it was like, you know, eyeballs melted like, <laughs> Whoa, you know? <laughs> yeah, man. It was such a joy watching that again. Uh, as Colin said earlier, I had kind of been itching to watch it in between, but I'm glad I didn't because that was, oh, that made for such an enjoyable, I remembered everything overarching wise, but it was almost like reliving a lot of it. You know, I didn't, didn't remember some of the uh, intricacies or some of the, the callbacks to, you know, design the, the tiling, those, those kind of uh, Egyptian style tilings in his apartment were had to be identical to the the original one in, in Deckard's apartment like there are so many things that I had forgotten that jumped out at me again you know got me all excited man such a fun watch I, I it's crazy to me that uh you guys said that, he, that he's not planning to continue forward with the current set of characters because Neander Wallace's character there's so much there he was almost like a ghost villain or ghost antagonist, maybe not villain, you know, but, uh, well, like I said, they, they could still continue the story of you. I don't believe you could ever tell a Blade Runner story without a Wallace or a Tyrell type. So, you know, Wallace, in my opinion, Wallace is kind of more than a character. He's a, he's a presence. It's the same way with Tyrell. It's these these characters and, and getting into the, the cross sections of it all, these these characters are not people. That's kind of the point. Uh, Tyrell, you know, has a kind of older, more uh, 
simplistic look at things because it was the 80s and they were just starting to get into the the big thought pieces of it all but Wallace being part machine I think is really and and his introduction scene on top of everything with the slitting of the of the replicant woman's stomach it's a scene that truly dehumanizes this man into a thing into an entity a presence you know he 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 has these little floating robots that that watch everything for him um and he represents this greater power that controls Los Angeles. He sends a replicant in to kill the the head of the Los Angeles Police Department like it's nothing. She just does it. And, and that just goes to show that the power these corporations have over Los Angeles. And I think also with that being said, you know, like look at like how San Diego is a dump at that point mm-hmm. too. Like it is literally a dump. Like, I'm pretty sure in this world, and this is something that hasn't been talked about often, but Los Angeles is the hub for human interaction on the planet at this point. You know, Blade Runner is something that's not in the movies often is, is ta- that's not talked about in the movies often is only mentioned in passing is the off-world stuff. It's It's really dug into in the comics and how expansive it is. But even out in the off-world stuff in the comics, Tyrell is still in charge out there. Hmm. And so you could only imagine, and I, I imagine that Denis would probably want to explore the off-world stuff, but Wallace could still be a power out there. You know, he doesn't need to, they could still explore new characters, new themes, and, and all that stuff, but it doesn't exist without a Wallace type or a Tyrell type. You know what's funny is I keep thinking about it. I've been thinking about it uh, since we watched it the second time, and especially when I was watching what I'm about to say next in its uh, original form. Um, Altered Carbon, I wish that Blade Runner could have that opportunity, but I wish they would execute it a lot better than Altered Carbon did. I feel like they were Altered Carbon was shooting, at least the first book slash a season was shooting for what Blade Runner was and what Blade Runner 2049 was. Um, and then obviously Altered Carbon just kind of fucking went off the deep end and uh, sucked ass for its second season. But I wish that a, you know, one of these big um, streaming sites would give uh, Blade Runner that opportunity. I think that would be amazing. It'll never I happen. Agree. Not in a million years. I also like I think a lot of these cyberpunk properties nowadays lose the plot like and that's why 2049 is so good is because it never once does like this is hell this world that they have built for themselves is not fun you know this things are not good and more importantly they're never going to get better it's the way things are now like one of the things that that isn't talked about at all in 2049 is the seawall that is built between Blade Runner 1 and Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. Uh it's talked a lot about a lot in the comics and like how many replicants die in the process of building that. Hmm. And like constant rebellions like that's the blackout was due is implied to be due to a, repl- a, re- a replicant rebellion that ended up happening during the construction of the seawall. 
uh, and and it's, it took like 10 years to build. So it was like a, a massive mess of an operation with the death of thousands of these people. You know, I think they're they're more they're more certainly more real than robots. That's for sure. Replicants are, and that's what makes the discussion of replicants and rights fun because you can't talk to the, talk about them like they're robots because they have bones, they have flesh. Yeah, right. Like, well, yeah, it's they're, they're, really they're just synthetic people, but they're it's people. Really, that's, that's what makes it difficult. Yeah, exactly. It's really hard to dehumanize them, and yet somehow Tyrell and Wallace yet continue to find ways to do so right well not to mention he he talks about them as his children you know he's father to whatever billions of replicants but then he walks into a room and cuts open one of the replicants and yes walks away wiping his hands off on some you know million dollar terry cloth towel while she bleeds out on the floor behind him like that that disconnect while claiming to be you know, father to millions or billions and then doing that heartlessly. Well, like, Yeah, I thought the best line in the movie was Robin Wright's when she says to Kay, well, you've been getting along just fine. And then he goes, "Yeah." he goes, what do you mean? He's like, oh, without a soul. You know, like that yeah. one in the theater and then also when we rewatched the other day, that one hit me like a goddamn freight train. It's like, <laughs> yeah. whoa, what a great line. Like, what, a, what line. a great line. Really and it really line. does, it kind of sums up like the, one of the, the core kind of conceits or like core questions that the movie's asking and, and kind of uh, examining. And uh, yeah, to Ben's point, I mean, it's really hard to say they aren't and and to kind of go back to what mark was saying too about like what would a blade runner 3 look like whether it was a, a tv show or some sort of serialized thing or um it was a film there's plenty there i think they set up kind of like the idea of you know revolution obviously we have neander wallace's character so regardless of who kind of uh was pulling the strings, I think you could probably explore some of that off-world stuff and then loop it back in with some of those same characters. And I think it's such a fertile, even if you don't take into account like the expanded universe, it's such a fertile ground for just new stories because there, I mean, Jesus, you, you go, you listen to, uh, um, you listen to, um, Rucker Howard's characters monologue, the famous monologue, in the first film. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time like tears in rain time to die just how much world building was done in that one monologue that's yeah. you know 45 seconds of the movie that you could build f entire films off of entire spin-off comic books or series or whatever but it's also rich and i think that's why 
the the universe endures as it does and is only strengthened by the 2049s you know i mean it it only made it that much richer of a universe and combining yours and mark's point about how wallace treats his replicants when speaking of himself as a as a father figure and telling Kay that he doesn't have a soul like that line hits so much more cruelly when you realize that Kay, despite looking like an adult, despite being an adult uh, physically and, and perhaps even mentally is is in his wisdom, at least a child. He is confused. He you know, he doesn't know he, he, he doesn't understand his place in the world except to hunt down his own kind. It is the equivalent to telling, you know, if someone told you or me that we don't have a soul, regardless of what you believe, you'd be like, fuck off. Like, I know who I am. But if someone tells this this poor, you know, person, this thing, really, like, whatever you want to call him, who is so unsure of, of everything in his life that all it takes is one one bad day to, to shatter his entire perception, self-perception, you know, it, it hurts so much more to know that that actually did damage to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's well, exactly like Andrew said. It's He's just literally a weeb that wants his 2D wife. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. No, I, um, I, oh, sorry. I, no, sorry. Uh, I was going to say, like, it also hurts when you consider the fact that a lot of the human characters that we interact with, Wallace, the, the police chief, they're so the artificial humans are more soulful and expressive and emotive. You know, you've got the whole relationship that, uh, K's got with his, uh, his 2d waifu, his, uh, little 3d, uh, house companion, you know, and mm-hmm. she like generally, I mean, you get the idea that she generally, gen- genuinely feels affection for him, which is just, I mean, it's more to, you know, more than can be said about this guy who's uh, apparently, you know, fathered millions of replicants or whatever. He feels nothing for them. You know, all he's doing is using them as a, a means to an end for uh, this this replicant reproduction experiment. Well, yeah, I mean, he literally refers to them as slaves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's and or at least he hinted strongly at the fact that they're just slaves. And once he can get them to self reproduce it's all the better for him, you know? I think mm-hmm. it comes up in the uh, intro text as well. Yeah. And taking it even further with that is Wallace is literally more machine than these replicants at this point. Yeah, yeah right? He he is, I he love is that. more a robot than they are physically. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, it's, it's, all, it's fun to unpack the layers of all of that. Who's the real person here? <laughs> <laughs> I do love their... I mean, they... It's like they've already treaded the ground from the start of the IP coming at this of a, you know, replicants and humans and making that distinction. And, uh, and like, where's the line drawn? Who are we to dictate their life once we put them into existence? And then I feel like they almost take that and distill it even further down with the relationship between Kay and Joy. And it... The way that he, like, the he talks to Joy more, in a more humanistic way than most people talk to him. And, like, she is even more of a, she, you know, technically is even less of a person than he is. 
and he still treats her with more like humanly respect than everyone does him you know i love the way yeah. they, they like distill that that comparison down even further and show his his humanity in that moment you know i, I love that so much i saw that more in this viewing than i did in the last one you know i enjoyed their relationship but i it it meant a lot more to me this time that's a great point that's a really nice point I uh going further into K or or Joe, if you will. <clears throat> one of the things I also love a lot about this character is the story. It's the he's he you know, he's a story of trying to find his place, like I said before. And as a result, this is the story of someone coming to terms with the fact that they aren't special in this world. That their their life their life matters. K's life matters, but toward a greater purpose. The, the you know he believes at a certain point about halfway through his search that he is this missing child and as a result it really it really does kind of uh juvenilize k throughout the story and, and put him basically turns him into a child himself this this child seeking his his family law and and as a result his purpose and I, I guess I don't know totally where I'm going with this, but the lesson Kay ultimately learns, which is an important lesson I think many people in this world need to learn, is just because you are not special doesn't mean you can't contribute to something special. And he does that for the first time by the end of the film. He does that in his own way. He doesn't follow the orders from Fraser. He doesn't follow the orders from the LAPD. He chooses a completely different path and his own his own purpose. He chooses to reunite Deckard with his daughter because he thinks it's the right thing to do. And he does he dies in the process and I think ultimately at the end of it all he's okay with that because he feels that contribution. He feels that even though he is not special, he is part of something special. And it's an important story beat that, like, it's it's the reason why I, I, this is, is one of my favorite sci-fi movies, is it's just a great reminder of our place in in the greater picture and how we need to take a step back sometimes and... You know, the big thing, the big thing now is is people say they have main character energy. It's like, no, you don't. You're not, you, you never seen that? It's it's a thing. It's a, it's it's probably a Zoomer thing. But regardless, is it, I is see it, it on TikTok. TikTok. Thing? It's, a, it's on TikTok okay. a lot. I, I love TikTok. It is what it is. But that's the point, is that you need to take a step back from that. It's good. It's good to have confidence. Don't get me wrong. It's good to be like, hell yeah, I'm, I'm in charge. But you need to take a step back from that sometimes and ask, how can you help? the greater picture how can you help other people and through that you will find your purpose you will find your meaning you will find what makes you special and that is truly like you could talk about you could strip us all down you could talk about the corporations and the cyberpunk and blah 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 but that's what the story is truly deeply it's a story about purpose and our place in in the greater story some big supporting cast energy there ben yeah. Yes, yes, comrade <laughs> Ben. It is all about how you can be a greater part for 
uh, the people. Andrew, put the uh, Soviet Hail theme song. Hail to something <laughs> Uber <laughs> out. You know the song. <laughs> 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 well done. Well done. Um, <laughs> no, Ben. Uh, I I'm going to get an angry phone call from Kyle later this hey, week. You know what, Ben? <laughs> I appreciate that on so many levels what you just said. Uh, I agree with that. I honestly live my life thinking that I am just another cog in the machine and I'm here to do my part. But uh, I f- don't be a cog, though. That's the thing, though. It's not telling you to be a cog yeah, be a because if he was just being a cog, no, he, he would have killed Decker. I think I am a part of the whole. That is that's go. how I approach my life. Mm-hmm. So sure. I just I want to be clear so that people don't like walk away with that message of be like yes yes be a cog in the machine yeah. don't True. be unique Fair. don't help don't don't do your part do do the do the holes part it's like there's a there's a compromise there's a fine line in between where it's like you can contribute and still not fall in line still hold and on to your individuality yeah. it was be the exactly. crank that controls the cogs exactly it was the Duracell K- battery that controls the crank <laughs> it was k Sorry. exercising some agency and his his own kind of sense of free will in this story in this world you know he had directives so if he was just following it if he was kind of the k that he was at the beginning of the story it would have played out a lot differently and deckard never would have been he probably wouldn't have survived to you know have met up with his child so i thought that that was why that ending which had a lot of parallels to uh baddie's scene you know i thought it was fitting that it was snow and not rain but it was very very Mm -hmm. similar um and and purposely so you know i thought it was just really made all the more poignant and and that last scene where uh harrison ford as deckard puts his hand on the glass it was just like man just chills you know it's just perfectly set up and it's for all the reasons ben just said i won't say him again because there's no need to but i completely agree i think that's that's it's powerful shit you know i mean it's it's powerful shit they do a really interesting thing too where <clears throat> when oh man hang on let me look at names real quick so i don't lose lose myself here when deckard is meeting uh wallace for the first time and they bring out you know the the audio clip of the first time that he that he meets uh oh my god rachel rachel, rachel thank you rachel the first time that he meets Rachel and uh, in that whole conversation, he, he starts implying that it was a designed meeting, that it was all, you know, set up to make him feel like it was, it was of his own will that these things were happening. But really it was something that, that uh, was set in motion to make this happen, to make, to give him the power and take, you know, take their they're designed to the next step and they kind of take that moment and start implying that. And then they, they kind of continue with it. Uh, with K acting as a big fuck you to that in him doing what he needs to do. Like they, they also kind of imply that too. when uh, love is watching over him and fires the missiles and destroys all those, uh, you know, uh, fallout characters <laughs> the raiders <laughs> yeah the raiders uh 
and she's she's like come on do your job find him find the uh find the kid it's like they they keep almost hinting like like everything is being laid out for them and there's an illusion of free will and they keep the characters keep bucking against that and continuing to express their free will and their individuality yeah i love that that's like i i didn't even catch that like i i always assumed that yeah like it it is the case for deckard like he was he got fucked he got manipulated but i love that that concept of like despite everything the powers that be are going to continue to fuck with you they're going to continue to push and pull you in the direction they want you to go and it is your job to look them in the eye and say fuck you and i like that a lot because that's you know that's essentially what deckard does right he's he's just like yeah say what you want doesn't fucking matter to me mm-hmm her eyes were green. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. Eyes are green. Oh, man. Which movie is so good. <laughs> I, love the, I love the hate that uh, Jared Leto stares at his uh, his angel at that moment. As soon as she, uh, as soon as he says that, she he just looks at her like, you fucked up. We could have had him. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> and and love such a a good character as well, where she's, you know... So like I I don't know if we have the time to fully unpack <clears throat> what she means to the for the entire system, but it's always you know it's the story of the of the replicant that falls in line, and I I I I feel like you know if if her character is performed the way that Sylvia Hooks uh wants her is actually it seems like she's going for she only falls in line because she's afraid of what will happen if she doesn't. And that's the big, you know, Kay is afraid of what happens if he doesn't fall in line, but he doesn't make him fall in line. Whereas love is the, is the story of someone who does fall in line I mean, because of fear. We have to realize that even replicants, there is a class system there. Uh, Kay mm-hmm. is just a public servant working for the police department. Um, he's basically in most parts, just a slave there. Whereas she lives a life of yeah. privilege. I mean, you see that when she's like, sitting there launching the rockets down the the laser uh, manicure down into San Diego. (laughs) Yeah. She's getting the laser manicure going on, (laughs) which when I was watching this last time, I imagined people in San Diego when they were watching that movie in theaters, the whole theater just had to have busted out laughing when they showed that San Diego was just like the junk heap of Los Angeles, (laughs) which I, I, you know, I don't know the, uh, I don't know how California works, but I would imagine there's a, a strong rivalry there, but yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it might feel like California is a nightmare. Sure. <laughs> That's what I gather. Yes. California is just a giant nightmare, but yeah, no, but I, I honestly, I think there is still this class system even amongst the, uh, uh, the replicants. So what oh, it, yeah. doesn't, I mean, her lip- doesn't love say when she, when she thinks she's beaten K I'm the best one. Yeah. That's yes. what I was just going to say. That's her last line to him. Like her last line in the movie, she says, I'm the best one or whatever, then swims back to the shuttle. And then, you know, Kay comes and which I I love the significance, too, of that scene, because it's it's played so well when Kay submerges her underwater and basically drowns her. And she keeps looking up 
and it's like the the water is really stormy and cloudy and you can just kind of see the outline of ryan gosling's face which is how i wake up every morning too i just kind of <laughs> see the outline of his face hovering over me <laughs> but it's funny because you see that and it's just so distorted and then like it slows down and then that's like the last thing she sees is him clear as clear as can be with her being submerged i don't know i just thought that was like a really poignant scene but absolutely there is a class system and it's kind of this like trying to prove that her quest because she does i think there's a few scenes that kind of intimate that she has more going on under the hood than maybe we're led to believe you know i think she makes a a comment to someone like uh i forget what character it is um i think it's robin wright's character the police chief like something so beautiful and you'd kill it like all you can think to do is destroy it so it's like she has her own motives and her own agenda, and I thought they played that really, really well. So she's a very complex character for being this, you know, killing machine. It's it's also just not that cut and dry. But I love to, to kind of see that, like, moral quest that Kay was ultimately on for kind of um, purpose, as Ben said, but then her trying to kind of find her own purpose, but them also clashing as, well, whose purpose is more worthwhile. You know, uh, I don't know. I thought that was yeah, kind of. Yeah, I mean, good. I imagine she. I imagine she wants to see this through, not just for to keep her place, not just to, so she doesn't lose her her life of privilege, but also, I'd imagine as a replicant, she wants to see replicants procreating. You know, one way or another, it's still good for for every replicant if replicants are procreating. I think she actually does see replicants as the next stage of human evolution. Oh, all of them do. Yes, she she clearly sees that, and absolutely that the only way that that can be validated is if replicants can start to, uh, you know, conceive and actually reproduce. So yeah, I think that's that that is her main drive there. Hey, it's, it's hard. worth also. Oh. Yep. I was just gonna say it's worth also noting that I believe like replicants are just straight up illegal at this point as well. Uh like the you, your existence is a crime in at this point, or at least I might be having my my timelines mixed up. Uh, it's I, except I, for government sanctioned ones. Yeah, yeah, it's the exactly the gen replicants, the ones that kind of have more free will or more wherewithal. Yes, the eighth, yeah, uh, absolutely. eighth generation. So, even Mariette, she, you know, the 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 her and the girls note that he's a Blade Runner, and the two girls are like, "Fuck that, we're out of here." And Mariette's like, you know, she's obviously part of the greater movement. She understands that she's got to get involved with this dude. Um, but you know, it, they if he wanted to, he could have taken them, taken them down, and that would have been that. Uh, it's just you know, moving moving your your people to a state of procreation would maybe help ensure that your your existence is not a crime any longer. You know, maybe that's something going on with her as well. There's just so much. God, see, that's one of those things and... where it's like I would like to see what comes next when the society actually acknowledges that that is a possibility, but you know, we'll never see it because. Or do they? Do they acknowledge it ever? No, you know? they're definitely... Is this something that they... Harrison Ford's daughter literally dies like 10 minutes more into the movie if they were to film it. <laughs> oh, I want one question. Like, no! So am I off base here? Is it kind of implied that she does not have an autoimmune disorder? They just kind of are segmenting her away? Yes, so, yes. So yeah, that, that was, she's that safe, right? Yeah. Okay. 
just making sure because that that was my thought even the first time we watched it um just because that feels like a very convenient way to kind of hide her from prying eyes but that's how i read it that's how i read it um but i could be wrong and she actually maybe because of her existence somehow there is an autoimmune disorder i don't know but we'll see i figured it was either that they that she they put her there to keep her out of arm's reach that way or as for her own like they might have told her right that that is the case yeah like i'm i'm not so completely sure leave. whether she understands the situation or not but i definitely think she that was, she was put there on purpose right she's young she or she was young when she was put there so it's likely she doesn't you know fully understand what's going on and you know i think also the fact that she was under wallace's nose the whole time like she mentioned she's worked with wallace in fact mm-hmm. wallace tried to buy her out at one point and i think the fact that she's quote unquote broken would completely just not even it wouldn't even be in his mind for a second that this might be what he's looking for oh uh, man i that's another agency uh fuck you the he tried to buy her out and she said you know mm-hmm. that's her own slice of freedom yep yep Mm -hmm. God, I love this movie. (laughs) (laughs) One way or another, I do think we'll get more Wallace eventually in the comic book. So if you are interested, uh, pick it up. Because the first comic was 2019, and that ended, and now they're in 2029. You you pitched that to me when it first started coming out, and it sounded really interesting, but I avoided it. I'm also a uh, um, trade paperback boy. I, it's out now. I, I know. I, I prefer that. So now that, yes, it is out, I think I might actually um, dive down that rabbit hole, as it were. There's there's three books right now. Uh, Blade Runner 2019 is out in trade. Blade Runner 2029 is ongoing. I think the first trade comes out next month. And then there's one that's wrapping up. I think it's got one or two more issues, but it's called it's Blade Runner Origins. And it is the story of the first Blade Runner, oh, which is a lot of fun. Okay. The first dude who realized, uh, the first LAPD detective who realized someone needs to keep these replicants in check and uh, uncovers a massive conspiracy, realizing that Tyrell has been fucking with these replicants for oh, since they started creating them and is like, uh-oh, uh, we need a department for this. So, <laughs> Yeah, maybe... Uh... It's, Maybe I'll uh, do that this summer. There you go. As I get <laughs> become the first uh, replicant. You can police also officer. just borrow. You can also borrow my issues if you promise to read them. No, I, I won't borrow another one of your comics as long as I live. <laughs> I learned my lesson. <laughs> yeah, how was uh, House of M? House of X. Oh no! Uh, I actually sitting here next to me is Star Wars Lando, which he's been asking me to give him back for at least the last four years <laughs> that I've denied that I've had, and then I found it. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh fuck! I guess I did have it." Um, it's less about you giving it back and more like I just wanted to know where it was. Yeah, no, I got that. Uh, I get you. It's I get cool. You, if you got it. Okay. Lost time. Um, well, fuck, guys. I feel like we could talk about Blade Runner for the rest of the night, but yeah, we can't. Yeah, I gotta get yeah. back to work. Um, so yeah, uh, unless anyone else has something really pressing they wanna uh, they wanna touch upon, they they really wanna get out there. I'm gonna say that is our take on the movie. Um, I feel like I don't have to say good sci-fi or bad sci-fi, but we're gonna go around the table anyways. Uh, Marcus, 
Yeah, Mark, if you like it so much, why don't you tell us what you think about it? Yeah, Mark. Is <laughs> it good sci-fi or is it bad sci-fi? It's good sci-fi. I like it so much. I tried to put a ring on it, but it said no. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. All right, Mark, thank you very much. Uh Jason. Tell me what you think, bud. Is it good sci-fi or bad sci-fi? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what the highest rank now because we've used so many different adjectives to describe sci-fi. I believe this. magnanimous is still magnanimous. Yes, I would say magnanimous it. plus sci-fi. Ah, <laughs> uh, we got a new uh, one. This would probably be in my top five, honestly, of all time. Oh, I, I love it that much. I love this movie. I love it as a movie. I love it as a piece of science fiction. I love it as a visual spectacle and a visual feast, but. Thematically, acting-wise, I mean, this was just like, it all came together. And for me, it's about as close to perfection as you can get. So, Magnanimous Plus, phenomenal movie, phenomenal, you know, just statement. Uh, good on you, Denny. I can't wait to see Dune, hopefully in a movie theater on a very big screen. Um, fantastic. Check it out if you haven't. Well, I propose, so I think that it's still better than whatever you just said. Uh, <laughs> 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 All right, thank you, Jason. I have Ryan ben Gosling Young. in my basement right now, Mark. I hope so. I can't wait to meet him. <laughs> ben Young, what do you think? Um, first of all, you will be able to see Dune in a theater. Uh, he's just trying to make sure that you don't have a choice, uh, which I don't think people should have a choice. <laughs> he's Chris Nolan it. Chris Nolaning it. Yes, take away choice uh, from the people. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I mean. You um, sound like Ben. When it comes Colin. to art, yes. You need to see it the way the artist intended. Uh, anyway. Literally Chris Noling in it. Noling Ning in no, it? No, because Denis is good. Um, <laughs> Old double standard Ben. Hey, you could be you could be uh, a prick as if, if you're good at what you do. So anyway, Magnanimous plus sci-fi as well. Uh, it is also in my top five, 100%. Uh, it's really funny that it is because i don't like the original blade runner i think it's wildly overrated uh and i think it missteps at every turn and i've seen supposedly the best cut so i i can't imagine what the worst cuts were uh this movie really understands the genre it sits in and it understands the job it's supposed to do very well and not often is it not just executed in a way that it set out to do so, but it's executed well, you know? Like, sometimes a movie hits what it was supposed to do, but it didn't do it well, but we still give it a pass because it's like, yeah, you know, well, it did what it tried to do. Uh, this movie not doesn't just do what it tried to do. It did it incredibly well in every regard, and that's something that Denis Villeneuve has done in all of his life. I've been looking, and I was like, why haven't we covered Arrival? We should talk about Arrival. Um... It's all, I'm adding it to the list, but it's the point is that, you know, this this dude is truly the greatest sci-fi director of our time, and the fact that he doesn't get more credit and more recognition is a crime against humanity, so magnanimous plus sci-fi, uh, go watch it, and go read Blade Runner, support your local comic book shop. Absolutely, Ben. Thank you very much. Uh, Andrew Charles Miller. W.S. Wow, Anderson please. Miller. Um, I think you described this movie to me as uh, <laughs> Drive. 
in the future or something cyberpunk <laughs> drive that wasn't me whoever did that somebody i don't know if i quite yeah i don't know if i quite agree with that statement um i feel like i would i feel like i want to watch this movie again to sort of maybe make that assertion assertion um but yeah i i pretty much instantly liked this movie like from frame one you know, I, I was very sucked in, you know, I, I love, uh, uh, you know, a Ryan Gosling movie just in general. You know, I'm a, one of the uh, only people who saw uh, was a crazy, stupid love. He's in that, right? Yes. But did you I see love only crazy, God stupid forgives? love? That's a fantastic film. Because I saw he he did. What movie? We, we, we went and saw it together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wait, what movie did you say? Only God, only God forgives. forgives. Oh, I haven't seen oh that. yeah. Um, which is funny because I I watched that movie and I was just like I didn't I didn't I was just like this was weird I didn't like it. Oh, anyway, it was fucking awful. It was yeah, it was like movie. I it was and it was right off the we're off topic, but it's right off the back of Drive, which I immediately loved and fucking and <laughs> tried to incorporate that into my life as much as possible. Anyway. Um, yeah, no, this was, uh, this was excellent, uh, sci-fi, you know, I, I don't know if I'm quite ready to call it my top five, but I like Blade Runner a lot. I liked this a lot. I felt like this was a really excellent, uh, companion piece, um, to Blade Runner as a whole IP. So, um, yeah, excellent sci-fi. All right. Thank you very much. Um, I agree with all of you. <laughs> um, I love it when this How happens. How very political. Um, I, lo- I agree with all of you. I think that this, as a movie, uh, visually, um, musically, uh, the sound editing alone, holy shit, this was amazing. The story I thought was great. Um, but aside from it being a movie, it being sci-fi, I mean, fuck, they're exploring what it means to be human. To me, that mm-hmm. is the perfect sci-fi movie. Um, I thought it was great magnanimous plus is i guess the going the going rate here right now uh have we got to magnanimous uh plus plus i don't know um i don't know if that exists. that's an additional subscription fee yeah yes you have to subscribe to the patreon please uh, i don't even know if you have a fucking patreon anymore but anyways i not thought in, it was not until event horizon 2 comes out oh my god though the fucking tv series that was supposed to happen right ben wasn't that supposed to be a thing yep uh, I believe it is still in development. Oh God, it's probably gonna die. That's in, it. That's in, the plus in, plus it, waiting in the wings. It's gonna die in hell. <laughs> oh, it's I was gonna make right that now. joke. Um, Where we're going, we don't need hell. This place is <laughs> okay. Anyways, um, man, you when you said you were gonna skip the, you were you were considering skipping the good sci-fi, bad sci-fi. I was like, oh, okay, so we're just gonna be like, good, 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 all the way around the board. And then everyone was like, hey, I'm gonna say this really like poignant and well-worded uh, finale uh, piece here. Mark, oh, I didn't even now hear I just feel like an idiot. Mark, <laughs> do you want your, do you want your poignant piece? No, I don't. It's too. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I just wanted to also say that this was my birthday choice. I know oh. my birthday was a month ago, but I put this on oh, the yeah, calendar. Oh, yeah, this was my your birthday. birthday choice. This was also Jason's birthday choice, but you got to it first. No, it wasn't. No, I made a birthday Jason's choice. Jason's birthday choice is next oh, week. Oh, you did? Oh. Oh. So your birthday choice is next week, which is going to be uh, Minority Report. Minority Report. Boys and girls, get, get your fucking, uh, your John Williams in one arm 
and I want you to get your uh, your motherfucker Scientologists and the other one. No, no, not the last good Spielberg. Get your Spielberg in the other arm, and I want you to run towards the future. Because <laughs> we're gonna do fucking Minority Report. Hell yeah! Also, also a heavy dose of Neil McDonough, which I'm a fan of. So, hell yeah! It'll be an enjoyable experience. I even I, more. Sorry, God. No, no, you go ahead. I was gonna say even more than the movie. I remember Minority Report, the game <laughs> Ooh, yeah, for GameCube. That's a good one. Yep. Oh God. Uh, and it wasn't it wasn't Tom Cruise either. I don't think they could use his no, likeness. It wasn't. They didn't have permission to use his likeness. <laughs> no, no, this sir. This is arguably peak Tom Cruise. So um, yeah, we have a lot to talk about with this one. I can't wait to do it next week. This will be fun. Uh, so yeah, until next time. Oh, oh, wait, damn! Not until next time. Tomorrow, if you are listening to this on release day, tomorrow, Mass Effect Legendary Edition comes out. It is the single most important video game release of our time. Go buy it! Support it financially as much as you can! Bioware has made many mistakes in the past, but now they are promising a new Mass Effect, and they need money. So go do it, because we know that they aren't going to get the financial support from EA after the last five years of absolute disasters. Yes. So please go support them. That is right, ladies and gentlemen. Remind the video game industry that they don't have to make new IPs. They can just keep remastering the same <laughs> shit they released fucking 15 years ago and we will give them money let's go mm -hmm. give them you money! Got it. no but seriously just a reminder we're covering it in two weeks so yeah so on the uh the, the 57th anniversary of uh re-release of cyberpunk 2077 they'll finally get it right, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right that's all <laughs> i mean i already said until next time so yeah do with that what you will